I think everybody knows where Acts is. Acts 18. It's all simmer down. Take a breath. Oh, this night, man. It's just, it's a spiral. Acts 18. 18. So the title of tonight's message is Ministry-Minded Marriage. So... We've been talking about biblical relationships and kind of setting a lot of groundwork on Wednesday nights, going all the way back to the beginning, um, looking at the first marriage, Adam and Eve, uh, the pattern that God had set up, um, man, woman, uh, become one flesh. Uh, We've been talking about that triangle. Um, You have you on one corner of it, whoever you're pursuing or dating, friend, whatever relationship on the other corner, and God up top. The closer you guys get to God, the closer you get together. If one of you is getting closer to God, you're getting further apart from the other. Um, it can't be the other one is going to pull you down. In order for a relationship to work, friendships, uh, marriage, whatever, you have to both be growing closer to God. Um, and that's a good, nice little picture uh, that we use to, uh, to illustrate that. Um, so tonight we're going to be looking at a, uh, a couple in the Bible that I really like, um, Aquila and Priscilla. Um, so by way of introduction on your study sheets, Um, This topic of relationships is so much more than who you will have a family with, who you will make memories with, and even who you will spend the rest of your life with. When I was a kid, that's all I could think about was who am I going to make memories with? Who am I going to grow old with? Who am I going to uh, just enjoy life with? And I couldn't wait. And while those aren't bad things, relationships are so much more than that. Your choice of a spouse will determine your future ministry to the Lord. We're going to see a good example of that tonight and a quick view of some bad examples of how that is so true. And what God has, so I want you guys to think to yourself, what has God laid on your heart concerning ministry, your calling? What is God calling you to? And does who you pursue match that direction? Do your decisions reflect where God is calling you? And that is critical. God has placed a specific call on all of your guys' hearts. A lot of times we suppress our car. We try to ignore it because we don't like where it might take us. But for those of you who accept that call and you're like, you know what, God, I want to do what you've called me to do. Do the people that you are pursuing, do they reflect that direction that God is pulling you? Or do the people that you're pursuing, do they pull you away from that direction? Those are things you got to be real honest with yourself. And those are hard things to ask. All right, so tonight we're going to be looking at Aquila and Priscilla. Like I said, found in Acts 18. So Aquila and Priscilla... What's, what's a unique thing you guys, how many of you guys have heard of Aquila and Priscilla? All right, what's something unique about them? Their name rhymes. Their names rhyme. Kind of cool. They're in the Bible. They're in the Bible six times. And every time they're mentioned in the Bible, they're mentioned together. And when they're mentioned, Aquila's name is listed first three times and Priscilla's name is listed first three times. God really uses an interesting way to show that their marriage, they're a unit. They're like-minded. They think together. They work together. They are a workhorse for ministry together. In God's eyes, Aquila is not more, more important than Priscilla. And Priscilla is not more important than Aquila. They have a single mission and they work together to accomplish that mission. That is what God desires out of every marriage. And it's important that we understand that because, like you know, Pastor Stephen says, and uh, you know, a lot of people say, every date is a potential mate. So why would you date somebody that God would not be able to look down on you and say, so-and-so is doing my work. So-and-so is going where I've called them to go. 
Again, tough things to ask yourself. So just, I like meanings of names. I put it under there. Um, you can take it for what it's worth. Aquila means strong as an eagle or an arrow. A strong leader. Okay, he leads his household right. And we see that based on the testimony that they have in the Bible. Priscilla, I kind of thought this was funny because I think of my wife. Ancient. Because she's, hold on, let me, let me qualify that. Let me, let me qualify. She likes old traditional stuff. She just does. She tells you. Yeah, I did. She, she does. She like, she always says that she was born in the wrong time. She always says that God messed up. I'm just kidding. She always says that, that she, she likes the, just the older style. She does. I, I, I think of her. I don't know. But ancient, venerable, somebody that you can look up to that's wise. Okay? Wise beyond her years. That's Priscilla. All right? So point number one, traits of a biblical relationship. So we're going to dissect this, this powerhouse couple. I'm probably going to say powerhouse a dozen times because that's just the only word I think of. Uh, Acts chapter 18, verse 1. Uh, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. So right off the bat, who, find, who seeks out, who finds Aquila and Priscilla? Paul. What do we know about Paul? Oh, yeah, he used to be Saul. But at this point in Acts, Acts 18, so nine chapters after his conversion, what do we know about Paul? Huh? He's an apostle. He's on fire for the Lord. Okay, a lot of people, if you ask who's the greatest Christian of all time, who are they going to say? Paul. Dummy. Yeah, they're going to say Paul, a lot of them. Okay, so Paul seeks them out. So what does that say about this couple? They're well-known. They have a well-known... Yeah, you're using the blanks. They have a well-known testimony. They're known as a couple that's doing what God has called them to do. Is your relationship known as doing what God has called you to do? I hope that you guys would strive to do that. I hope that's something, you know, even if you're not in that position right now, that's something that you would desire. And that's what God would want from you. We're not going to look here, but Matthew 5.14 talks about a light. You know, a city that is up on a hill cannot be hid. The world was dark back then, and this couple, they were a light. Paul came into the city, and he saw the light. Are you a light within your school district? In Matthew 7, 20, it says, you know, by their fruits, you'll know them. By their fruits, Paul knew them. Whoever you're dating, do they have fruit? Whoever you're pursuing, do they have fruit? When you're together, do you have more fruit than when you guys were apart? If not, that's a big red flag. And it doesn't mean that you're like, I don't have fruit, chuck it, I'm done. It just means you need to start having some tough conversations. But they had a well-known testimony. Paul knew, right when he came in, he's like, I can trust these people. They'll take me in. All right, and then letter B, this is one trait about them that we can easily read over. So verse 3, notice this first point. It says, and because he was of the same craft, so what was Paul? What was his craft? He was a tent maker. Yep. He abode with them and wrought for by Aquila's occupation. No, what does it say? Their occupation, they were tent makers. So what do you what do you see if you if you look at that? They work together. You know how hard it is for people to work with their spouse? You know what this tells me? It tells me that they were best friends. They got along. 
I think of Genesis 2.24. You know, when you leave and cleave, you become that one flesh. You get along with each other. doesn't mean there's not conflicts. Ask Brandy. There's plenty of conflicts in our household. But she's my best friend. 1 Corinthians. Let's flip over to 1 Corinthians 7.5. Very interesting verse here. And I think it's interesting that that Paul warns the Corinthians about this. A very interesting thing to warn a marriage about. So verse 5. Let's verse 4. So we're talking about husbands and wives. It says, The wife hath not power of her own body but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body but the wife. Okay, they're one flesh. Verse 5. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. So flat out, Paul is saying, look, it's good for a husband and wife to be intimate. And I know that might sound inappropriate, but I really believe that Paul throws that out there because it is very, very, very important that a husband and wife be as close as they possibly can together. I mean, you think about it, it's, like, it's Paul saying, look, defraud not your bodies from one another because Satan will use that as a thorn. Satan, if you're not intimate together, if you're not as close as you possibly can be, Satan's got a foothold and he's going to get in and he's going to pry you guys apart. And the application for you guys today is your relationship with God. You need to be as intimate as possible with God. You need to spend as much time with him as possible so that Satan can't step in and have a foothold in your life. But the devotional for you guys is do you get along consistently with people that you're pursuing in a relationship? Or you at each other's throats? I mean, these are basic things to think about. Do you get along? Can you see yourself, and really think about this one, can you see yourself in your most dire state with this person? If anybody asks me what the most dire state in my marriage has been so far, Brandy, what's my answer? What's been the most dire state in our marriage? that I've had to deal with you through pregnancy as a hard time to go through marriage. You see things that you never thought you'd see You deal with things you never thought you'd deal with. You see a baby come. I mean, it's just all these things that you're like, if you're not prepared, if, 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 if God's not the center of that relationship, look out. It's important to have these honest thoughts. Look at the person and say, are they, can they, are they my best friend? Do we get along? And again, that does not mean that there's not conflicts. God uses conflicts to bring fruit that not otherwise would have been there. But do you get along consistently? Can you see yourself with that person five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road? Because that's what God expects. Marriage is not something to flippantly enter into. And it goes back to every date being a potential mate. Therefore, dating should not be something that is flippantly entered into. That is the only reason that we should be entering into. It's not some fun thing just to enjoy life what, or else Satan's going to use that as a foothold to ruin the purity of your heart, to ruin the purity of your body for something that he had reserved for, a, for your spouse down the road. But Aquila and Priscilla, they were best friends. They could work together. They had the same profession. And according to the Bible, there was no quarreling. I'm sure there, were, there was bickering and conflict and stuff. But they were able to work together effectively. Look back over to Acts chapter 18. Sorry, hold your place in Acts 18 when you're there. I didn't mention that. 
but they were best friends. And it makes sense that you be best friends because think about it. Who do I spend the most time with in my life? Brandy. It only makes sense that she be my best friend. How am I doing? Let her see. They were hungry for God's word together. Okay, All these points they were doing together. It was not Aquila out on his own doing something. It was not Priscilla seeking these things. They were unified on this. They were hungry for God's word. Look at verse 11. And he, Paul, so who's, who's Paul with right now? Who's he staying with? Aquila and Priscilla. All right, verse 11. And he continued there with them a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And I bet you they didn't get bored one second. And then look down at verse 18. Um, and you can see it says, uh, let's see. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while. Then he took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria. And with him, so Paul was leaving them after this year and a half. And who wants to come with him? Priscilla and Aquila. Notice how they flip now. Now it's Priscilla and Aquila. Having shorn his head in Centura, for he had a vow. They loved being with Paul. They loved the word of God together. Is that something that the people that you're desiring, the person that you're pursuing, do they have that love of God? Do you have that love of God's word? Because I'll tell you right now, if you don't have a healthy love of God's word, you have no business pursuing anybody else out there because your vision, your, your standards or discretion of who to date and who not to date, it's going to be very, very skewed. And if you're in a relationship like that now, just get a healthy love of God's word. Be honest with God about these things. Psalm 42, verse 1, we're not going to turn there. It says, as the heart panteth for the water, so a heart is a deer. As the deer is thirsty for the water, so panteth my soul after thee. Does your soul panteth after God? When you wake up in the morning, do you, do you have a need to talk to him? When you go the morning or the day without hearing from God or without opening up his word, do you hurt? Does your soul pant? If not, you need to be very honest with yourself and examine yourself as the Holy Spirit inside you because if it is, it'd be grieving. It'd be desiring to hear from the Father. Your soul ought to pant for the Father and whoever you're pursuing ought to as well. Aquila and Priscilla, they were a unit. They were one flesh they did together. They were equally yoked on that matter. Letter D. Well, on letter C, let me, let me back up and make it a little more practical. So when you're looking at people just as far as, you know, potential mate, are they at every youth opportunity that they can be at as far as seeking out God's word? Are they reading God's word? Are they seeking God in decision making? Big decisions. I mean, how many of you guys are seniors in here? You guys got what coming up? Graduation in college. Are you bringing that? And I'm not, this is rhetorical. Just think to yourself. Are you bringing that issue to God? That's a huge, huge issue. That's, in my opinion, in most people's, that's the third most important decision you'll ever make in your life is your career. Second, being marriage. First, being to give your life to Jesus Christ. Are you giving that issue to, to God? Are you seeking counsel on those things? And then somebody that you're pursuing, is that something that they naturally do? Are they honest about sin in personal life and relationship and handle it with the Bible? That's a big one. You know, and I'm not going to go into details, but like with Brandy and I, there, might have, there was some sin that we were dealing with and we weren't honest with it. You know, we knew in the back of our minds it was wrong, but nobody wanted to address it. We didn't want to confront it because it's awkward. Who wants to talk about sin? We're in a relationship. We want to have fun. We want to enjoy it together. 
But you know what happened when we were finally honest with it? God brings a spiritual fruit inside a relationship that you didn't think existed. Be honest about sin. Deal with sin. Hungry for God's word and hungry for whatever God has for them. Which leads us to letter D. Willing for whatever God has for them. Willing hearts. So in Acts 18, let's look at 18 again. So we see that Paul's leaving. And who's following them? Or following him? Priscilla and Aquila, this couple. All right, verse 19. And he came to Ephesus, Paul, and left them there. But he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not. He had to go. So Priscilla and Aquila, they're like, can you please stay with us a little bit longer? We love your teaching. We love what you're doing, what you're saying. We want to be a part of it. And he's like, I got to go. But verse 21, but bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. So they go with him, and now they're left in Ephesus. They, don't, they didn't know what they were getting into, but they were willing for whatever God had for them. So how many of you in here, don't raise your hand, how many of you in here have the thought of full-time ministry? How many of you in here really in your heart have, have the desire of whatever God, wherever God, whenever? should be something we all struggle with. We all contemplate between us and God. Okay, if that's something that you have in your heart, is who you're pursuing or who you're going to pursue, is that on their heart? Because if God's placed that call on your heart, I can tell you right now, he's got someone else out there that he's placed on their heart. And you got to wait and you got to find that person. Don't jump at the first infatuation that you see because you think it feels right. If God's placed that on your heart, that is nothing to mess around with. That's nothing to joke about. What would have happened if Aquila was, you know, he had that on his heart and then he settled for uh, Jasmine, I don't know, and she didn't have that on her heart? We wouldn't even hear about Aquila in this. And we're going to look at a man that I think the same thing was on his heart, but his life didn't unfold, I think, the way that God had it planned. But they were willing for whatever God had for them. Um, Psalm 24, verses 3 through 5, it talks about, you know, who shall ascend into the hill? Who shall have a close relationship with God? And I love what it says. It says, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart. They got their hands on the plow. And they're, doing the work for, they're doing the work of the Lord for the Lord. Not for vainglory. Not for their own spiritual success of elevating themselves within the church. Not for recognition. They have clean hands. Their hands are doing the work of the Lord. And they have a pure heart. Pure hearts are hard to find nowadays. Everybody's got an agenda. Somebody's, I mean, think about it. If somebody does something nice to you that you don't expect, what's always in the back of your mind? What do they want? What are they waiting for me to do on the back end? I can tell you right now that that between Priscilla and Aquila as a relationship and then that in their service was non-existent. They had a pure heart in their service. They followed Paul wherever. They hopped on a boat, went to Ephesus, and they're like, okay, here we are. And I'm sure God provided. Willing for whatever God has for them. Letter E. They were actively discipling. Look at verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, so he knew, he knew the Bible, he knew some stuff. And being fervent in the spirit, so he was very passionate. All right? I think of like Jarrett Struble. 
He knows stuff in the Bible and he's out and he's, he's giving it on the streets. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. That is all he knew. And he was fervent in these things and he was out telling people about it. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, verse 26, whom when, I flipped again, Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. So they're out on the street and they hear this guy, Apollo, is talking about the baptism of John. They probably came out the next day and heard him talking about the baptism of John. Then they come out the next day and hear him talking and they're like, is that all this guy knows? And Priscilla's like, yeah, probably. So what do they do? They bring him inside and they show him the Bible. And then look at the fruit of this, 27. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren, they wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive. And they were like, Apollos, he's got the word of God. He knows what he's talking about. Who, when he was come, Apollos, helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly showing by the scriptures, that's where the power is, that Jesus was Christ. So they got fruit that's going all over the place just by discipling Apollos, by bringing him in and showing him what the Bible said. So are you actively involved in discipleship? And then on the flip side, are who you're pursuing, are they actively involved in discipleship? And it's much more than the program. You know, yeah, I'm being discipled, blah, blah, blah. No, is this something that they're like, I believe the power. Jesus Christ, when he came down and said the work was finished, he hadn't died on the cross yet. His main work was investing in those 12 disciples because we're sitting here all today because of the work that they did. Discipleship is powerful. I am standing here today because of the power of discipleship. And that is the only reason I'm standing here today. Discipleship is extremely powerful and it has to be present inside a relationship. It has to be the heartbeat. Is that your heartbeat and is that the heartbeat that, um, that whoever you're pursuing has? 2 Timothy 2, 24 talks about being apt to teach. You know, not everyone's called to be a teacher. Not everyone's called to be a pastor, but we're all called to be able to teach something. In this moment, Apollos was only teaching the baptism of John. How many of you know John three sixteen? Then you guys are apt to teach. You have enough to give the gospel. You have enough to tell people about Jesus Christ. You can do the same thing Apollos was. And then if that's all you know, then you need to be like Apollos and you need to get baptized. You need to get discipled and baptized if you're not baptized. You need to learn the Bible. And then Titus even talks about women, women teaching the younger. So anybody that says women aren't supposed to teach is baloney. They're going against the Bible. Women are absolutely supposed to teach. Everybody is, is supposed to be apt to teach. It's who you're pursuing. Do they, are they apt to teach? Do they have a desire to teach? And if, if, they're not, if they don't know what to teach, are they doing the things to put themselves in a position to learn how to teach? To learn the things of the Bible? Do they, you know, all these connect. Are they hungry for God's word? All these things build. But these two, they were actively discipling. They sought out occasion to see, wow, that's not, you know what? He could be a much better Christian. He could be a much better witness for Jesus Christ if he just knew this. And they brought him in and they expounded it more. And it says that he mightily convinced the Jews after the things that they taught him. Incredible ministry these two have. And then letter F, which goes back to the title of our message. They're ministry-minded. Flip over to 1 Corinthians 16. First Corinthians 16.
15. I love this. This is cool. Verse 19 says, The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. These two had a church inside their house. They were serious about serving the Lord. Are you serious about serving the Lord? Are you ministry-minded? I, I love it. All the way you know, down in, the, in 1 Corinthians, wherever Aquila and Priscilla went, I bet you they were planning a church wherever they were at. Sticking a church in their house. Inconveniencing their entire lives for the furthering of the gospel. Is there anything more important than people's souls? You know, let's make it really personal to see, you know, how, how real this ministry minded is to you. How many of you guys in here have lost family members? Okay. Now, how many of you would give literally everything you have, every penny you have, every vehicle, every material, anything that you have to see that person get saved? I would give everything I have to see a lost family member get saved. But we hesitate a lot. Aquila and Priscilla didn't hesitate. Paul was going on a ship to Ephesus. They're like, yep, count us in. God's moving, we're moving. It's something we really need to keep in the back of our minds. You know, if the going gets tough, sometimes we're like, yeah, I think I'm going to control this situation. We miss out on something miraculous that God was going to do. I bet you Aquila and Priscilla didn't know the fruit that Apollos would have just by discipling him or by starting a church in their house. Who knows how many more... Uh, saved people came out of their house and started churches down the line. The Bible doesn't get into a lot of that. But they're a very peculiar couple mentioned. Flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And this is where it gets personal for you. First Timothy chapter 4. So verse 2, I would say this is probably a, similar to the time that we're living in now. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. It is definitely out of season to talk about the things of God. Verse 5, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, witness, and then make full proof of thy ministry. What are you doing to make full proof of your ministry, your ministry, your personal ministry, the ministry that God has called you individually to? And then if you get married, the ministry that he has called you and your spouse to, what are you doing to further that ministry, to make full proof of your ministry? That God can sit up in heaven and he's looking down and he's like, yeah, I see the evidence of that. I see them obeying me in that instance. I see them doing this, this, and that, preparing themselves for their ministry. And it doesn't mean that your ministry is going to be a missionary on the other side of the world. Some people it is. Sometimes your ministry is becoming a school teacher and impacting kids. Sometimes your ministry is just being a worker and impacting your, your co-workers. Whatever it is, are you doing everything you can to prepare your heart to make full proof of your ministry? Aquila and Priscilla made full proof of their ministry. Paul, we're not going to look at uh, all of them, but in Romans... He salutes them. He salutes them saying that they stuck their necks out for him. They hazarded their lives for him. 
Paul was very thankful for these two, and he mentions them in two, two separate epistles, saluting them and greeting them, saying how thankful he was for them. Are there people within the ministry that would say that about you? You might say, oh, well, I'm just, I'm just a teenager. I'm telling you, when I was in senior high, there were people that I would have said that about. What are you doing to impact other Christians? They were ministry-minded. Their marriage was ministry-minded. And God calls all marriages. Don't, don't think that because you're, you're an unlearned Christian right now and you might not know things that God hasn't called you that. Think about Paul where he was at. He was murdering Christians. Nine chapters later, he's traveling the entire world or whatever the portion of the world that he was going to for Jesus Christ. You have no idea what God has planned for you, but it's a lot better to find out God's way than trying to control it your own way. And I want to be very clear. The Bible is clear about unbelievers, about dating unbelievers. You guys can write down 2 Corinthians 6.14 if you want, where it talks about being not unequally yoked with unbelievers. We know that. But what I want you to think about is tonight we're not talking about unbelievers. I think that's pretty black and white. Tonight we're talking about believers or so-called believers. Where are they going spiritually? Is it where you want to go or even should go? Just because somebody says they go to church, just because somebody says they're a Christian does not mean that they are the person that God has for you. All right, we're going to see that in number two, the dangers of compromise. Um, we're not going to go to the verses in Samson. I want to look at Lot in a little more detail, but um, how many of you guys are familiar with Samson? All right, so Samson was a very, a lot like me, very strong. <laughs> I had to throw one in there. So Samson. What do you guys know about Samson? He had long hair. Yeah, he was dumb. You know what I see when I think of Samson? So in, Sam, in Judges chapter 14, he pursued a wife of the Philistines. Yep, Philistines, Steens. Yeah, he pursued a wife of the Philistines. And it says, and what's very interesting in Judges 14, and it says that it was of God. And you know what that tells me? The Samson was only serving God, your point on here, is serving God half-heartedly. How many of you are, are, are limiting what you allow God to do in your life? And it's hindering what he's able to. God smote the Philistines using Samson. But it cost Samson a great deal. So he marries this Philistine to get inside into the Philistines. And then he ends up ruining his marriage with the Philistine. She runs back to her dad. He gets mad about her dad forbidding him to see her and takes all these foxes, lights their tails on fire, and has them run through and burn up all the Philistines' crops. And do you know what happens to his so-called wife and her father, his father-in-law? They get killed. What a messed up life. You think that would have woken him up? Nope. Chapter 16, he goes and sleeps with a harlot. And then he meets the famous Delilah. And that's when, and this is why I said it's, it's serving God half-heartedly. He had an eye for women. I really think that was a big thorn in his side. And what does he do with Delilah? He gives him his whole heart, whatever's left of it. And that's when she gets him. And that's when the Philistines come in, they pluck his eyes out, they tie him to pillars, and there he is, embarrassed, humiliated after giving his whole heart away. If you're not giving God your whole heart when it comes to relationships, you're going to end up in a position where you're blind and dumb, embarrassed, humiliated, that you never thought you'd be at. That's the story of Samson. 
He was never willing to give God his full heart in these relationships. He pursued a Philistine, and yeah, on the surface, it seemed good. Well, if I just date this person, I could win him to Christ. If I, Nothing bad is going on right now. Well, yeah, that is, but we handled it. We're good. We're moving on from it. Then she ends up dying. Then he slips down even deeper. Then he's, then he's with a harlot. Then he's with Delilah, and he's in a position where he never thought he'd be, tied up and humiliated by his enemies. Guys, that can happen to any one of us. Don't even think us in our marriage that we're immune from that. I have to guard my family from that every single day because Satan wants to come in, especially being in a, in a spot of leadership. Satan wants to come in and he wants to thwart whatever God's doing. And I'm telling you, God's doing something in your guys' lives. You've got to be on guard for these things. Don't ever think you're in complete control if you haven't given God your whole heart. So that's Samson. And then Lot. Let's flip over to Genesis 13 and we're going to wrap up. Lot's a little more, well, I don't know, familiar, but. So Lot, I put down a missed opportunity, underdeveloped potential, or potential that was never met or left or something. So Lot. So we're going to jump around Genesis a little bit. I got all the verses listed that we're going to look at. Um, So just follow along as we build this case, and then we'll. We analyze a little bit. So chapter 13, verse 10. So in Lot, he's separating from Abraham. So Abraham's like, okay, you're going to go find your place to live in Lot, and Abraham's going to go find his place. So Lot, in that process, verse 10, lifts up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. So Lot lifts up his eyes and he sees something pleasant. He sees something nice and he's like, I want to go there. Okay, so he sees it. Look over at verse 11 and 12. So then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east and they separated themselves from one, from one, uh, separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward where? Sodom. So you see a direction. He's like, that looks interesting over there. All right, let's keep reading. Verse chapter 19. So he pitched his tent towards Sodom. So six chapters later, verse 1. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. So he went from seeing something nice to pitching his tent towards it and looking at it, seeing it every single day. And where does he wind up? There, There, sitting there. In a place of authority, sitting in the gate. Another reminder that don't ever think you can control a little sin. It will grab hold of you and suck you down. So Lot, do you think he's leading his family right? No. And then verses 15 and 16. So we know what happens to Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot's told to leave with his family. And God rains down fire and brimstone. Verse 15. Uh, and when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. Look at verse 16. And while he lingered, Well, you know what? Let me go back and get, I got some nice converse back here. I got a, a basketball. I got some baseball cards. I got stuff that I just need to get before we head out. He's lingering. Despite knowing that God's going to rain down fire and brimstone. He doesn't sound like the wisest individual right now. 
All right? And then look at verse 25. So in God and he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. Now verse 26, but his wife. So they were commanded to not what? Look back. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. So you look at this marriage and you look at this family structure. And the interesting thing with Lot is it doesn't say that Lot was an unrighteous individual. It doesn't say that he was some evil man. It doesn't say that he was consumed by sin. How does the Bible describe Lot in 2 Peter 2.7? It says that Lot was a just man. God thought very highly of Lot. I think that God had high plans for Lot. I don't think Lot ever received that calling. I don't think he was obedient to that calling. And there's a couple ways you can look at it. Was Lot's wife disobedient to that calling? Did she bring him down? Did Lot just not want to disrupt his family? Did he see the plains of Jordan and thought it was nice? And he's like, you know what? I just want a house with a white picket fence. I just want a comfortable life. And look what happened to him. All at the expense of comfort. All at the expense of, well, this looks good to my eyes. Folks, we can all be a lot. We all have that potential. You know, we know his family was out of order, and I just think of the lost potential from his life. Especially when God specifically calls out that, look, Lot was a just man. He was a good man. And this is what happened to him. And then he ends up going into the mountains and creating two incestuous lines with his daughters because he got drunk. The Moabites and the Ammonites. I mean, what a legacy to leave. Again, just like with Samson's sin, especially in relationship and family structures, will destroy you and embarrass you and humiliate you. It has to be dealt with. And the importance of if God is placing a calling on your heart, do not ignore it. I have no doubt that Lot, especially, I mean, he was spending time with Abraham. That was his uncle. The greatest patriarch of the nation of Israel. And this is the life that he leads. I guarantee you God had a call on his heart and he ignored it. Does God have a call on your heart? And I know the answer for every single one of you is yes. Does who you pursue, so in closing, does who you pursue match that? So who you date and ultimately marry can be the greatest asset or the greatest thorn in your ministry. So be patient. You got to trust that whatever calling is on your heart, I promise you, God has somebody else out there that he has put that same calling on their heart. And if you would just wait for God to bind you guys together, you will have the greatest ministry-minded marriage that God could have ever imagined for you. The same things that are true about Priscilla and Aquila can be true about you. But it all boils back to, is, is that what you want? Do you want to do what God has called you to do? Or do you want to be like Lot? You want to say you're a Christian, show up to church, But in the background, you want to have this nice, comfortable life. A nice, comfortable life only lasts for a season. You might get it for 75 years on this earth. Not humiliating it's going to be, but when you stand before God, and he's like, you knew these things. You knew not to do this. You knew to do this. Marriage relationships is the easiest way that Satan can destroy your life. But it's also the greatest way that God can use to further your future ministry. So which one is it going to be for you? All right, let's pray. Thank you.